Thank you everyone uh, for joining our security session panel discussion today. Today, I really brought in and wanted to focus on really the idea of ransomware. You know, it's really a pressing topic and I wanted to examine the latest trends, shed some light on how organizations must prepare for potential incidents that can kind of happen. So I brought together a great panel, some thought leaders in this space. Maybe we can go around. Stas, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about where you're coming from. Sure. Um, so my name is Stas Pajuka. I'm a information security professional. I've been in this space for about 20 years. I've got a degree in it. Um, I've been a CISO multiple times. I've got pretty much every accreditation in this space. And uh, I'm the CEO and founder at the moment of a company called Compile. We're a GRC uh, automation platform. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for being here today. And uh, you're based out of New York, right? Yeah, I am. Very cool. Uh, Will, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're coming from today. Yeah, sure. So Will Kwasowski, about 24 years in the industry. Um, the majority of that time spent in consulting and managed security services. And, you know, within that time, I've kind of worked in every part of that business that exists from, you know, product development and, and delivery to operations to R&D and, um, you know, CISO advisory. So I'm a, a jack of all trades and, and very proud of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, to round us out, Dan, where, uh, where are you joining us from? And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting me, Daniel. Uh, Dan Lorman, I am uh, in mid-Michigan. I work for Presidio as field CISO and uh, been in the industry a little bit longer than some of you guys, almost 30, well, 35 years. Uh, going back to NSA, uh, started my career at the National Security Agency. I was in England with Lockheed and Mantec. And then 17 years in Michigan government. So a lot of different roles in Michigan. I was an agency CIO. I was this, uh, state's um, first CISO, first CISO for all 50 state governments, actually. Um, and then CTO in Michigan, chief technology officer. And then came back to the physical and cyber security world as a CSO in Michigan. Um, and uh, so, yeah, a lot of government work. And now back with uh, Presidio and Loving, loving, loving every day. So it's uh, keeping us busy. That's awesome. Dan, are you originally from Michigan? Originally not. You may hear my little bit of mid, uh, middle, uh, mid, mid uh, Atlantic accent. I'm from Maryland, actually. Okay. Uh, born and raised, born and raised in Maryland. Um, went to Poly High School and uh, actually came back out to the Midwest Valparaiso to play uh, quarterback on the football team. But long time ago and a land far away. <laughs> But well, uh, yeah, from Maryland I, I, originally, and my wife's from Michigan. So that kind of explains everything. There you go. Well, before we dive into this, uh, what, what football team do you support? Um, you know, it's I'm still a Ravens fan. My brothers, I've, I'm the youngest of seven. I have three brothers that are diehard Ravens fans. And, uh, no. you know, so I, I you know, it, it, it's a mix. Not really a big Lions fan, uh, but, you know. Tend to follow more college football. I'm a big Michigan State Spartan fan, though, so I watch a lot of college football. That's great. That's cool. going to rile a few people up, I'm sure. I know. <laughs> you know that, that, that's what I was thinking. You know, there's a bit of a rivalry out there in Michigan. Um, oh, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the three of you making the time today. Uh, I actually want to start, Dan, you know, I, I think, you know, you have quite a bit of experience and, you know, it took you so much to publish a book. Uh, what was the motivation for writing um, it's a leader's guide to preparing, managing, and recovering from inevitable business disruptions. Um, and so I actually co-wrote it with my um, co-authors in uh, Sydney, Australia, Shemaine Tan. 
She's a woman of the year in, in Australia for cyber a couple times and really, really accomplished, done TED Talks and things. But you know what we really saw missing, um, there's a number of ransomware books out there. Um, when we published this, it was true stories. People wanted to hear what really happens kind of behind the scenes through the eyes of CXOs. So not just all uh, security pros, but through the eyes of a CIO, a CEO, a CFO, um, what, you know, kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and really kind of walking through, um, you know, what, you know, what you can do before, uh, the 12 chapters in the book before, uh, four chapters in the middle. So four chapters about before an incident happens, four chapters about during an incident, four chapters, you know, kind of cleaning up after the fact. So before, during, and after, um, and the, the ransomware stories, public and private sector, 35 true stories. And, and then a lot of best practices and what, you know, people wish they knew before it happened to them and kind of what, what they can take away from that. So gotten a lot of great feedback on it. That's excellent. Wow. You know, Will, I'm curious, uh, kind of just starting on, on the front end of this, uh, you know, ransomware attacks seem to be evolving, especially in the recent years. Um, like some of these new tactics that these cyber criminals are employing are infiltrating organizations. Um, some, you know, struggle with basic uh, kind of things like business email compromise. But, you know, th th these types of attacks are evolving. What are you seeing um, kind of from your your lens and uh, any sort of advice, thoughts um, on, on kind of maybe how to remain secure or, or put a plan in place on the front end? Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to my TI folks before this to kind of get an idea of what was going on. And, uh, you know, some of the attacks, you know, they're still using, you know, they're, they're using standard. They're not they're not necessarily more creative than they used to be. Uh, or, you know, some of the old stuff still works just fine uh, because vulnerability and patch management is still a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we we're talking about how, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of EDR technology will eventually catch it, right? And there are certain things that that they can do, they being the the baddies who are, you know, trying to kind of sneak around and be quiet and not set off all the alarms. But eventually, you know, they're going to escalate privileges or they're going to do something, you know, bad enough that the EDR is going to detect it. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, you know, from a preparedness standpoint, I think a lot of it comes down to um, you know, we're seeing attack surface management is this, it's kind of a new buzzword. Uh, I actually just wrote a blog about it. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not just a buzzword. I think that's what the blog title is actually, you know, the ability to kind of look at your environment from the same lens as the baddies are, uh, it can kind of help you get that heads up, that leverage, that understanding of where your risks are. Because again, there are, there's there's too many vulnerabilities, there's too many risks, there's too many things. You can't patch it all, you can't monitor it all. So you have to focus on the stuff that's going to be, you know, the biggest, uh, the big that makes the biggest impact. And so really understanding that approach on, you know, how they are seeing their, you know, how how outsiders are looking at your business to try and figure out. Okay, how do I get in and what do I deal with? And then leveraging that knowledge to improve your internal monitoring capabilities, right? So, you know, how do you detect? Um, it's it's funny though, because you know, there the the whole idea of ransomware you know, is usually for somebody to get a quick buck. Uh, but then you've got organizations out there like Ransom House who will do things the hard way, right? They're not 
they they're not just going to send a phishing email and get somebody to click on it. They're actually going to use like some network or application vulnerability like a pen tester would and then break in. Uh, the, the theory is there are a bunch of white hat hackers who got tired of submitting, um, you know, vulnerability plans to the management and not getting them done. So like they're, they're very business-like they will, uh, you know, they'll say, oh, Hey, we, you know, we've got all your data. We're going to sell it on the dark web unless you pay us. But if you pay them, you get a findings report. Uh, so you get to, you get to know what you have to fix. So it's, it, the, the motivations I think are an important thing to look at it too. I think organizations have to understand um, you know, why someone would want to get in there. So it's a, you know, a matter of, you know, what is the, what do the bad guys see about me? You know, what is my industry? What are my targets? You know, why would somebody attack me? And then how are they going to get in? And what, you know, what do I protect from there? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You know, Stas, uh, I came across a KPMG top 10 common cyber incident uh, response mistakes. So quick, uh, quick piece from that. Many organizations implement boilerplate incident response plans, or maybe better known as one size fits all. They often have extensive detail, go over uh, every step, but you know this type of approach can uh, really impede um, an investigation. Off the shelf plans are often outdated and inefficient against evolving threats and changing technology. So I'm just curious, like it's it's challenging. Is the like you know if if you want to take step one, is step one even worth the time doing it? Or if you're not going to be thorough about an incident response plan, should you really kind of maybe not you know reach out to consultants like like how can an organization kind of take their first step towards this? Um, um that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, incident response planning is is, is a must, right? Having an incident response uh, policy and then uh, playbooks around it is really is really important. Um, nobody likes doing them. Nobody likes writing policies. No one likes writing playbooks. Um, but they do need they do need to happen. Um, I think Dan uh, does. He wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> there, there I'm sure that this is probably like uh, the the first four chapters are probably about writing policy and and incident response planning, yeah, um, and tabletop exercises. But even before they can get there, a lot of companies don't even understand where like where their critical assets are. The amount of times that we've gone into organizations, we're like, okay, like ransomware hits tomorrow, high level. What do you guys care about? What do you guys not care about? What's cloud? What's not? What do you have BCP DR scenarios for ready for? Um, what, what's in, what environments are production, which environments have UAT, like nobody knows the vast majority of companies don't know the answer to these questions. And this would be the very first thing that you need to do in, in order to be able to even start on an incident, uh, incident response plan. Um, so that would be the, I mean, that would be the first step, catalog your assets, understand what's important to the organization, start putting in controls around them and then write playbooks and then do tabletop exercises. They don't have to be difficult exercises. You don't have to involve everybody at once to run through this because you're not going to get the CEO, the CFO, the CIO all on one call to go over this because you have to slowly buy them. You have to get buy-in from them and that takes time and it has to, you have to show them some return on investment. And that can be, that can be done by something as simple as doing like a residual risk statement showing if we do this and we plan this out, we could potentially save the organization this much uh, and reduce the risk overall. Um, these are all simple things that can be done by a fairly small team. Um, but it does require the legwork to, to do it. And a lot of this stuff can be seen as, you know, not the sexiest of work. Hey, hey Stas, my assets, that's my laptops and printers, right? That That's it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
it's amazing yeah. how many conversations I have yeah, that are like, about printers. Yeah, it, it, where people just think assets are hardware, they don't realize it's 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 data, it's applications, it's data flow, right? It's, yeah, it's people my, that own my, that and can make decisions about it, right? For sure. My approach has always been: you do the CIA triad for the for the high level system first, and then you do the hardware that underpins it after, which bit more detailed, but like, that's the way that I've always done it. And that's the way that I've always found works the best. Interesting. Uh, Dan, any industries or sectors currently more susceptible to these types of vulnerabilities than others um, that you're seeing today? Yeah, it tends to go in kind of waves, you know, right now, June was, wow, just, you know, it's the flood coming in, um, both government and private sector, um, pretty much across the board. I mean, just the, the recent uh, move it stuff that you know we we've seen um, the ransomware attacks and the, the list just for the month of June have been it's crazy. You know, a um, bunch of federal agencies hit, but you know, Shell, United Healthcare, Student Resources, University of Georgia, Heidelberg, um, you know, all over the world. Um, you know. So it, it's been bad. I mean, certainly the ones that have gotten a lot of the press have been hospitals, uh, health systems, um, a lot of a lot of universities getting hit. Um, but it does go in waves. I mean, there, a couple of years ago, we wrote a lot about, you know, they kind of went up and down the eastern seaboard. You know, they hit Baltimore, Philly, Atlanta, um, pretty much every city in Florida got hit. Um, and, and, and to the extent that and the ransom, the amounts are going up, the numbers are going up. Um, one thing I would say about that, Daniel, in, in general trends around ransomware, there was a lot of people writing that RSA out in California back in April, a lot of people talking about, well, you know, ransomware is down, you know, cyber insurance premiums were actually dropping a little bit, and the whole show on cyber insurance premiums. But now guess what? It's back again. It's yeah. back again. Um, and, and 20, they're saying they're out of the first six months of the numbers won't come in for a few months from now, but the first six months of 2023 may be worse, um, the worst ever first worst six months ever. So ransomware is not going away, contrary to what some people are saying out there. Um, and I think most people are just shut up about that, who are writing that because <laughs> June kind of proved the point. It's been a really bad month and, uh, it's really hitting all industries, um, but uh, it's it's pretty bad right now. Yeah, I can't imagine like like we. I mean, you know, the Verizon data breach report comes out every year. The number one vulnerability is always web applications, right? For the most part, but ransomware is probably everybody's biggest risk all the time because of how easy it is, right? Uh, you can you can you don't even have to know what you're doing. You can pay for this ransomware as a service. Heck, you don't even have to negotiate anymore now. Um, there's there's negotiation services on the dark web. So you can pay somebody to deploy the ransomware for you and they get a cut. And then you pay somebody else to negotiate what your payment is and they get a cut. And I mean, you almost have to do very little to make it happen. Uh, and if you can do the basic minimum amount of research to do some spear phishing on the right people, pal, it, it happens. <laughs> for yeah. sure. I've, yeah. I've got a I've just got a question for Dan actually. Um out of the 20, out of the 35 use cases that you that you mentioned in um uh, um cyber mayday is how many of those are cloud native versus on-prem do you know yeah i don't have the exact numbers i mean you know some of them um definitely some uh you see cloud native or on-prem but there's also ones that would move legacy stuff to the cloud too right and yeah. so um there's you know it's 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 mostly um 
Well, I have to say it's a mix. I don't I don't have those numbers off the top of my head. No, so no, I know. I didn't want to put you on the spot. I'm just, I was genuinely yeah. just curious. Yeah, let me ask that, Seth. Like, so from that, like from a cloud versus on-prem, from a ransomware standpoint, like how does how does the threat actor like approach it differently or do that? Like what's, how do you, how do you feel like that, that affects it? Is, that's a question to me. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. You the, brought the question. I was curious. Yeah. Like my, my impression with all of this is that it's more legacy platforms and more data centers that are getting, that are getting affected by this significant. I, I understand that, you know, people are still running like VMware servers and clusters and all of that, and they're not patched and all of that, but that's like, bad, yeah. um, you know, just out of the box, like backing up services are pretty, are pretty common. Like it's, pretty hard to, to like get to spin up a database that isn't encrypted that isn't at least like monthly backed up you know you might have to configure it with, with policies over top of like azure aws so like with like with all this latest technology and the move into the cloud i would just think that the risk is starting to get mitigated and more like i'm just thinking that we're going to hit like a peak at some point and then we're going to start seeing a drop off because all these companies that are getting compromised they are going to be forced to move into the cloud and i'm just trying to make I was just trying to see if that made sense with somebody like Dan, who's had a, yeah, a lot of Yeah, I mean, I, let me just jump in, says, because I, I think this, why I, I kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit about that is because what I'm also seeing a lot of right now, and the book came out, you know, at the end of of, of uh, 21. So the book is about 18 months, you know, it came out. Yeah. And we did a lot of the research, a lot of the work was done by July 21. So it's, it's a little bit dated, not it's a great book, <laughs> great stories, what happens. Yeah. But I, so I want to encourage that, but it's, it's, what I'm seeing a lot of the last year, though, is it's still that you've got people coming in that have a blended environment. They've got some on-prem, they got some in the cloud, and then the bad guys go sideways. And so, you know, they get in. Once they're in, it may be they get in through a legacy app. It may get they get in through, you know, and we talk about how do they get in. And I, I agree with Will. Um, you know, a lot of it is, you know, going back to Colonial Pipeline, it's, it's they get identities on the, you know, they literally are logging in in some cases. They're yeah. stolen identities, people not using multi-factor authentication or whatever. And, you know, I hate to say it, hopefully not as much of that anymore, but some username and password for system admin accounts and they're getting into the, you know, it's sad, but it's true. Yeah. And, and and then and then they, once they're in, they go sideways. And like uh, two bigger cases that I know of, um, they were in the, the dwell time was well over a hundred days. And and they and they went sideways and they got the cloud backups were all gone too. So I mean they basically just sat in there and watched and and just kind of you know you know spy on the wall you know just basically watching what you're doing and 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 uh, and so I, I I agree with you I think the, the entry method definitely much more legacy um, or a compromised accounts you know. Um, not systems that are on patch, et cetera. I totally agree with that. But once they're in, it's kind of all hell breaks loose. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought about that before is, yeah. you know, uh, we all kind of, everybody kind of thinks, well, you know, I click on the email and then, you know, my, my laptop goes back, but that's not really what it is, right? They, they want to go get the data that's valuable. Yeah, right, just yeah. locking the corporate network out, you know, or or individual laptops, and so they have, they do have to kind of break in and pivot around and and escalate and all, you know, do the the standard that kind of stuff. Um, and so you know, it does sound like maybe, you know, if you've got legacy on-prem stuff, there's a higher risk versus you know some some of the cloud services. If you, you know, I've always 
for years when even when cloud was like a new thing you know clients would ask you know how do we i was like if you're doing everything wrong on prem and you move it to the cloud all wrong it's not going to matter that it's in the cloud like it doesn't fix your problems other than you don't have to worry about your physical data center right um you know that 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 IaaS, SaaS, pass model whatever you're still responsible for the data and a lot of that stuff so um yeah that's that's interesting uh perspective i hadn't really thought about before is is you know how they're actually pivoting around in there to find the right data to go ahead and decide okay now it's time to pull the trigger right instead of just kind of taking the easy way out that's right yeah, one quick story i'll tell you and what this is actually is not in the book but this is i can't give you the name of the company but there was a west <laughs> michigan there was a company small business that was hit and um they had been in well over 100 days and they had been everywhere they and they said your you know your life is the guy they literally called the ceo and and five minutes before it happened and they said your life is about to get really miserable and there's nothing you can do about it and the guy hung up i mean it was almost like in your face and then they hit the button and everything was encrypted i mean it, it just you know all the backups all the access everything was 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 bricked one one of my favorite statistics is uh half of all breaches are um not discovered by the company right it's discovered when the bad the baddie calls you and lets you know you have it or you see the blue screen or you you know your your ti or somebody you know tells you hey your, your data is for sale on the dark web that's usually when the breach is found out so despite all the technology that you have that you have that's monitoring everything um, it's, it's half the time. You're still not going to find it. I totally agree. Well, and a lot of times it's, it's law enforcement <laughs> making the yeah. phone call. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, the number of clients who have called me or the company I work for at whatever given time, because a three letter agency knocked on their door yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, Dan, you know, I'm kind of interested then for your perspective here, because, you know, we touched on ransomware as a service, uh, slightly, but like, what implications does this have for the frequency and complexity of these attacks with the rise of uh, ransomware as a service? Yeah, I think Will Will said it really well a few minutes ago. You know, it's 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 getting more widespread. The impact is becoming greater, and the dollar figures are going up. So this is becoming a business model. Remember, people have to remember there are countries around the world where this is you know economic development for them. I mean, it's like they're not being they don't have our laws and. I don't even want to get into the whole, you know, Russia Ukraine war and 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 that whole thing but but you know just you know a lot of these criminal gangs are in foreign countries and and uh and so it is a challenge. I mean I I don't want people to be deflated. You know, I certainly do think there are examples of where they are. They do, you know, three letter agencies and others and working with our counterparts in 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 Interpol and in Europe and other places where they do bring down big networks. It does happen. It's great stories that share and share success stories. But it, the spread is just, you know, um it it continues it maybe just like kind of the economy up and down you know recession you know inflation whatever same kind of thing it ebbs and flows in ransomware but overall the trend is still up and and it's still um you know a broad uh you know a, a scary scary environment that's getting bigger and it, like you said you don't necessarily have to have a lot of skill sets um to get into the game now yeah, yeah. And, and one of the the details i got today from talking to my team was you know, a lot of it, the technology is not, you know, they're, they're writing in like Python or Rust, which, you know, the EDR tools aren't necessarily as, as familiar with. Right. So um, at one of my, one of the guys I work with had a great, um, a great quote. And he said, you know, 
if you build a better mousetrap, you're just going to get a smarter mouse, right? So the, the, this is lucrative. <laughs> um, you know, they, you know, from the old world way of pen testing, um, this is now giving you uh, something to do with, you know, once you're in there versus just breaking in and maybe, you know, stealing financial data or whatever, or trying to, you know, how hard, you know, what a pain in the butt it is to try and, um, you know, blackmail an executive because you've got some data from them. But how easy is it to just lock up everybody's data and sit and wait for them to pay you, right? And I mean, sell it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like exactly. what, if, if you've got the means, what else is there to do? Like what else is easier or better? <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean, if you look at um, if you look at this ion situation that just happened, um, so companies are still. I mean, it's becoming less worrisome because it's, the days are getting longer and longer, or it's become further and further away from that incident. But literally, you have companies like leading financial institutions that don't know if their market position data is on the internet and who has access to it and if it was ever shared. And they're literally like, this is like worst case scenario for a lot of these companies, especially like for hedge funds and brokerages. Because if that data were to leak, again, it's getting further and further away the positions change. But, you know, the days after that was really, really like they were going into like DEFCON um, you know, it, it was, it was becoming pretty grim for them. So like, just, just to not know what's going on in the organization, who's got access to the data, what they're doing with the data, who wants to buy that data. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a position that companies want to be in, obviously. It's a dance point. Like that's, you know, it's one thing for me. Oh, I want to make some money. Let me do some stuff. It's another thing to be like, hey, I've got geopolitical reasons or I'm a hacktivist. And, you know, like you like, oh, you know what? Hey, you know, I don't like capitalism. So let me go ahead and see what I can do about, you know, messing with the NASDAQ or the or the, the S&P, right? And see how I can impact things. For sure. Well, and critical infrastructure. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, we talk about you, you, you get any briefing. They tend to be rather boring from the three letter agencies. They don't say a lot about the details of what's really going on. But what they do tell you is that they talk about the adversaries and they talk about nation states. They talk about China and Russia and they, you know, start naming names, Iran, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and you start realizing that some of their goals may be very different. They're testing things out, what might happen in a cyber war kind of thing. And, and, and they have brought down infrastructure. And, and so you're right in those situations, it's not really about necessarily most of it we're seeing now is about the money. It really is. Um, but, but there are examples of what just happened in Guam um, that really are viewed as, as critical infrastructure attacks uh, by nation state actors. Well, it's sure. all, yeah, it's all something that's leading to something bigger. And Canada right now, one of the gas companies, you can't like use credit cards at the pump or something. I think I, oh, saw, I saw that. that. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, Patrick, so, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, you know, and while that seems inconvenient and it's a problem, that company's going to lose money. Again, those are like, that's not critical. But like those, those are specific systems, right? Those are, those are dangerous things to be able to, you know, have control over and lock down. And um, yeah, the, the right mindset can 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 wreak can wreak a lot more havoc uh than just sort of hey I, I want some bitcoin for sure but also like i mean when when the when the like when the attackers are on the network right i mean they're getting access to systems that they normally would never get access to like case in point swift right like no one ever get you're not going to get access to swift at sitting at home unless you <laughs> breach a network right so the amount of zero days that are being that are being generated that we're like i i suspect we're going to see a massive influx if i mean we're already seeing a massive influx of zero days but it's just going to continue because they these these guys have access to things that they normally would never have that they normally 
would never have access to, they're also incentivized to find holes in those because then they can reuse them on other uh, on other companies. So like, I think I think that's just an interesting dynamic. So let me, I'm going to ask Dan the experience one. How, how do we deal with all that? Like, I, I know all the prior planning and, you know, do all the right things, but like, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you overcome all that? Yeah, I was going to just add the pile on one more time. Saz was saying, and I'll get to your question, Will, is, is, is uh, you know, you also, you also have the, ch the challenge of supply chain and the fact that that makes it worse. And, and the yeah. fact that, you know, you, you hack, somebody that everybody's using every client I talk to is a supply chain conversation. And, and, and that that's really hot right now is talking supply chain and what does that mean? And, and I mean, I think, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, you know, I do think, you know, we, we, we kind of started with that. and didn't get a chance to jump in, but you're right. You know, the, the, the early chapters are really about just having a really um, a good cybersecurity program overall following this uh, cybersecurity framework, you know, knowing how to, you know, detect, uh, respond, you know, basically practicing, putting into practice. And we'll talk about cyber hygiene and the basics, but it, it really is, you know, it's kind of like we talked earlier, how do you win football games? You know, people say, oh yeah, it's blocking, tackling, throwing, running. I mean, everybody gets that. It's easy, but doing it well, you know, yeah. means you win national championships, doing it not so well means you lose by 40 points. And so, and, and you know, there's a lot of similarities between football and cybersecurity. I mean, the, the reality is, um, you know, you do need tabletop exercises, and I do believe you can, as we, as you, you mentioned, Staz, that you know, you can, you can chunk, chunk it up, and you can have different audiences. But I also believe you do really most programs they need to have at least once a year, if not more, a tabletop where the, all the different business executives are in the room, where you get that attention at the board level, they understand what really is at stake. And but one of the best ways to do that right now is just look at peers. And, mm -hmm. and you know, if, if you're in an organization, you just cannot get management's attention on this. Look at your peers. What are they doing? Who just got hacked? Who, what ransomware attacks just happened? Talk about, you know, if you're a bank, the other banks. If you're a water system, the other water systems. If you're electricity, et cetera, et cetera, government. You know, who are your peers? What are they doing? And who are they listening to? And I think that's one of the best ways to get the attention of the C-suite. You, you gave me an idea, and I'm sure somebody's doing this, but I, I would, I'm going to, you know, I think this is a great idea is to take, you know, if, if I'm a CISO, I've got, you know, my services company, my threat intelligence, I've got this data, hopefully I've got some attack surface information. Um, you know, yeah, I'm going to do my standard playbooks, like I know what's going to happen, but I, would you know, similar to threat modeling. Okay, let, let's figure out based on everything that I know about my environment and I can see, you know, what are my most likely avenues of attack? And then let's do a tabletop on that, right? Let's let's run that as an engagement. Let's let's say that got breached. Because, um, you know, like my company will, we'll, you know, when we find, we find a vulnerability, we'll do the micro pen testing and tell you, you know, yeah, this is actually something you care about versus not. But that's, that's one thing to just let you know, you need to address it. But let's, take that a step further and say, okay, let's actually do the tabletop engagement. You know, here's these three or four things we know about the environment. Let's run through it like it happened. Um, you know, what possibly, you know, how, and you can run through the technical teams on, you know, how the breach would occur, red team, blue team stuff. And then, you know, I'm a big fan of having all of the, you know, the C-levels, all the execs in the room to hear and see what's going on and how you're going to deal with it. Because I think that's the other part too. A lot of organizations think about the technology side of it and they forget there's PR, there's shareholders, there's yep. business operations. I mean, you know, the the business continuity planning, you know, becomes a bigger and more important thing um, when you start looking at it. 
So, so funny enough, we just did something um, like literally um, it's, it's coming out in, in three days. So um, because we gather information about assets and vendors and we know the, the frameworks that customers are trying to adhere to and we know um, their risks and we know their incidents and we have, you know, we, we pretty much know everything from a security and compliance perspective in order for us to be able to, you know, get a SOC 2 or ISO for our customers. We've started generating playbooks, uh, standards and procedures based off the back of those. Um, so we're like still early days, like it is out, it is, it's going to be out in three days, but like, um, I, like, I, I think it might be a bridge between Will, what you just said, and then Dan, what you were alluding to, but like the whole, the whole point of this. And I think when I first started off, like nobody wants to do this, but it's super important because it needs, we need these tabletop exercises, but if there is a way to, to be able to generate these on the fly, um, and update them annually for, let's say, and then run through them, like that could be a good Good way to bridge the gap. Yeah. Anyway, just sure. yeah. Thinking. Well, I, we're coming up on time. Um, I will say, um, I am absolutely confident over other um, security sessions we've had that there will one hundred percent be a part two to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> There, uh, there seems to be uh, pl plenty of meat left on the bone here. But uh, Dan, Stas, Will, I want to thank you guys uh, for making the time, sharing your kind of experiences and your thoughts on on in this space. Certainly, it's not something that's going away. Um, and you know, having a plan in place um, and having a great plan in place is is a start to it. But just like a fire drill, um, you know, organizations have to kind of run through it to kind of get familiar. Um, you know, in case the day happens. So. Um, thank you again. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Take care.